Godzilla Final Wars. Emperor Palpatine? What are you doing in the studio? No, that's just... <laughs> that's the trailer for the film we're doing this week, Godzilla Final Wars, the teaser trailer. Ah. This this is one of the few Godzilla films I actually have a memory of it coming out, in the, like, in Japan, because this was 2004. Sites like Ain't It Cool News, sites like, you know... Chud. Chud. We're starting to pop up. Barry's Temple of Godzilla... Mm-hmm. Which is still up, and it's it's been unmodified since 1997 <laughs> or 98, uh, and and the the technology was such that you know I, I was at Michigan State University and we could stream trailers off of the uh, uh, you know off the computers, and I saw the teaser trailer for Godzilla: Final Wars, and in like I think it was like April of 2004, and it was like it was coming that. Uh, that December. I just remember that it was when, like, they were starting to make really... When streaming internet videos was becoming a little bit easier, so you could see behind-the-scenes footage of them making Godzilla Final Wars. And I think, unlike Peter Jackson's King Kong, I was not disappointed with the final results. <laughs> I guess, uh... Or I should say, as disappointed. <laughs> I, I liked Peter Jackson's King Kong. Some some uh, general housekeeping. This is the Godzilla Pod War Hour. We're back. We're we're here today talking about the final uh, Toho produced Godzilla film uh, or film Godzilla film from Japan. I guess this Toho does have some involvement in uh, the Legendary Pictures one from a supervisory standpoint. But this is the last one made, shall we say, in house. Uh, we've decided to bring back. Uh, Dominic Griffin to to help discuss and and digest this film with us because it's extremely crazy and uh, you know it's the craziest film in the series since Hedora so obviously Dom came to mind instantly <laughs> so welcome back Dominic hey good to be here yeah he's back I was uh, like talking like a Tonight Show guy it's like yeah good to be here yeah yeah I'm good to be here yeah good to be here <laughs> you know it's a good flight in and uh, yeah yeah um, did you hear the one about the lizard. Yeah. I fought another lizard twenty eight times. <laughs> this is, this is, is that the, cor- the the official count of fights in this movie? No, no. This uh, is just this is Godzilla Part Twenty Eight. You know, this is the this is officially, I believe, the third Godzilla movie I've seen in my entire life. So I don't envy either of you gentlemen <laughs> whatsoever for this massive, admirable undertaking undertaking you've uh, you've gone under. Uh, yeah, that. 28. Yeah. That is more than Bond, right? There's more yeah. that's more than their Bond movies. It's more than there are I mean, it's probably about the same running time as the Lord of the Rings franchise though, right? All the extended editions. Yeah. <laughs> when you include stuff, the Hobbit extended yeah. editions. Uh, With all the stuff you didn't need to see. <laughs> exactly. Um still waiting for that Tom Bombadil scene to get put back in there. Lots of poems. Anyways, um <laughs> So yeah, this film came out in 2004, as previously stated, and it was, again, as previously stated, the last the last real Godzilla film, and his last time as a man in a suit. Um, the, it, it was, I think they, the producers knew that it was going to be either the last one or like one of the last ones, because it really, it, it was produced during the, the 50th anniversary 
Godzilla film. So it was made as such. Yes. So it really seems like they needed a film to come out in 2004, and also maybe the series was starting to sag a little bit, and so they just... Maybe they detected that the, the energy was going down or, or something needed to be shooken up. Well, the director, uh, Ryuchi uh, Kitamura, uh, mentioned that he considered this film more of a best-of album or like a mixtape. It's like just taking the like the elements that were the most pleasing of all the previous films and combining them into this film. And uh, I that, that pretty much shows. Like a very... Yeah. The whole thing does feel very best of um yeah and in some way like a best of album there are like great ones and then there are ones that's like is this really is this really have either great? of you seen any of kitsumura's other films i think i've seen all of his other films i have not seen so you've seen midnight meat train in the theater which i did not see but have you seen verses uh no. yes i have seen verses very familiar anyone listening to this podcast right now needs to see the film versus I agree. Uh, I it is uh, a, a very special uh sort of pop cultural cum shot of a movie uh it just it's it's a it's a mixed batch of <laughs> vampirism sword fighting uh, gunplay uh i think there's zombies there's, there's zombies of, there's, there's a lot cyborgs of... there's they bring back the cobra assault cannon from robocop it's like yeah. it's the only time I've ever seen that like a movie borrows a specific weapon from another like film universe and like brings it into their universe. That this is but a taste of the insanity of verses. Yeah, if you take when, when Mike this, asked me if there was any other Godzilla films I was interested in watching to to be involved with the podcast, this podcast that I think is a really great endeavor. Um, he mentioned that there was one directed by Ryo Kitamura, and I was like, all right, well, I want that one. Because <laughs> if the dude that did Versus got to do Godzilla for any budget, any <laughs> any situation, I want it on that shit. Uh, and I, I made the right decision. Let alone the biggest budget ever for a Godzilla film. 19.5? 19.5 and grossed $12 million, so lost millions of dollars <laughs> for Toho. And... Uh, and I think that's why, you know, aside from a uh, a brief CG cameo in, in uh, Always Sunset Part 2, or whatever it's called, um, this is the last we've seen of Godzilla since, um, you know, this Friday, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, May 16th, 2014. I mean, it's it's been 10 years. Yeah. And uh, the, the attendance was the... It, it was interesting, because, like... If you view these films from movie to movie, it's hard to sometimes see the larger patterns. But like, if you sort of have like a decade or so to kind of pull back from it and see everything in, in the proper context, this film had the lowest attendance of a Godzilla film since Terror of Mechagodzilla. Mm-hmm. What happened after Terror of Mechagodzilla? They took a decade off. What happened after this movie? They took a decade off. You know, so it's like... Yeah, it feels about right to, to, to bring him back again. But um I I I dig I dig this movie. Yeah. It's it's insane. Yeah. But it, 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 but it's fun to watch. I, I'll be goddamned if it's not yeah, entertaining. Before we even get into the specifics of the plot and, and everything about this film, the idea of bringing in Kitsumuri to direct a Godzilla movie is ingenious. So whoever Toho thought let's bring this crazy fucker in was the right person 
to make decisions. Uh, but there's a feeling in this movie, it doesn't feel, it feels like a Godzilla movie. It, ha- it captures the energy and spirit, I think, of, of, of ver- various eras of the Zilla. But it also feels sort of like Kitsumura had like a sci-fi movie in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of holes maybe in his draft of the script that he'd been kind of shopping around. <laughs> And he was like, I'm never going to get to make this weird movie work, and no one's going to give me the money for it. Hey, you want to make a Godzilla movie? Well, shit, I could probably squeeze in some kaiju fights in this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be... I could yeah, I could do that. Hell yeah. Final Wars. Without getting too explicitly into, like, the, the you know, the scenes, which we will go over later, or at least try to differentiate, remember, and then re-explain to you... It does feel like the impression I got was that he, that Kitsumaru had, had, had been keeping abreast of all of the high sci films yes. and the Millennium series. And he, I mean, he went on record as saying that the films that he really liked were the ones from the 70s. The yeah. ones where it was just like Jet Jaguar, fucking Mechagodzilla, King Caesar, who is his favorite kaiju, as mm-hmm. I stated on that episode. And I'll restate it again. King Caesar is his favorite, uh, which is why he comes back in, in this movie. And, like, you can see that by the inclusion of almost every Toho monster ending with, like, the original Mechagodzilla. Because there is no Biollante. There's no Space Godzilla. There's nothing except a very brief shot of Megaguirus in the opening credits to even acknowledge that there's been other Godzilla movies since Terror of Mechagodzilla uh, in the opening of this film. So, um, I mean, other kaiju. Now... The opening credits, we'll get into that. See, yeah. we're getting bogged down anyways. Yeah. The point is, he wanted more energy. More energy. He, and and less, less talking. Uh, you know, I was talking to my brother, and he was talking about, because he's been trying to follow the podcast, and he's like, he was watching, I think, Megaguirus or SOS or something, and he was talking about, well, there's a scene where it's like, they have to go through five different layers of like, okay, we're in the, you know, the, the the corporate or the uh, the military room is saying, well, we should send in the tanks or whatever, and then the the press saying they're sending in the tanks, and then like the <laughs> general public at a bar looking at a TV, looking at the press saying they're sending in the tanks, tanks. <laughs> and then they send in the tanks, you know, and it's like well, it's, you didn't need those six. Well, tanks. no, it's it's a very. I mean, I, I believe we might have talked about it in the last episode. It's been a while. There, there's a, a sort of there's a kind of epic filmmaking that happens and it's it's the difference between you watch a film that is about uh whatever the hell it's about and and there's like the epic version of it there's like the regular movie in the regular movie uh someone goes well we got two tickets for this cruise and like it just cuts to them being on a fucking boat and the epic movie version of that they arrive at, at the at the boat. We have a majestic <laughs> panorama shot of the boat. We cut to the bowels of the ship where men are shoveling coal <laughs> into a hot furnace. We we meet the captain. You see, puts his bookmark in his favorite book that's very important to his character, and he sets sail and looks at his shipmate. And they that's a fucking speed two. Okay, what I'm talking about is speed two cruise yeah. control. Uh, sorry, but it's that style of filmmaking that is a shorthand for. Well, you know that there's a scope and things are happening, but if, if applied wrong, uh, it's just a waste of your time. Because right. if you if you if you're a person who watches movies and you're you're uh, you're into this sort of thing and it's in your blood, you don't need you know that shit. You yourself will fill in the 
awful banter between two men in a bar about the the goings on the yeah. the the pat uh, you know repartee between the reporters who are like I've got a story for you it's about Godzilla like you don't need all that shit right you know and uh, as much as I liked certain elements of that in Godzilla vs Hedora I love that in this movie there's just no time for that no. shit yeah. no. they don't bother it just feels like you're being shot out of a weirdly designed laser gun. And there's just That's no on speed. Sp- it's on speed, and there's just no chance for shot by Willem Dafoe's character from Speed Two Cruise Control. It is. How you gonna stop me now, my friend? Let's turn this into the Speed Two Cruise Control podcast. Uh, after the model, you can do an ongoing series of every Speed movie for two weeks, and then you can wait forever for Gareth Edwards to, to bring back Speed Three on a fucking plane or something. I don't know. Um... Yeah, the uh well what yeah. what what made the good Godzilla films, I think the ones that most people enjoy are the ones, and I've said this before, where the human characters are just as interesting as the monsters. Yes. So that that like especially the original Godzilla and Godzilla versus Mothra. And the original Godzilla, it's a very serious film, serious science fiction, and you empathize with the characters. In Godzilla versus Mothra, it's a lot more humorous, but you still empathize with the characters. They're very dimensional, and even the the funny, and, and they're funny, and and you just can go along with the ride. And there's also monsters beating the shit out of each other. Right. It's like, you can't get better than that. If I may say, I fully agree with that mm-hmm. perspective on the Godzilla films and, and giant monster robot punching, kicking mm-hmm. movies in general. But in this particular film, I did feel as though, again, without getting too much into the plot, uh, an hour goes by of screen time yeah. until Godzilla shows up in a two-hour movie, which is cool by me. I'm all about pacing and, and suspense, mm-hmm. but... Uh, yeah. You get real deep into the mythology of this particular entry of the series, which seems to just go off in its own fucking direction, and you get real into it to the point you almost forget you're watching a Godzilla movie until, you know, then almost as if to apologize for the hour uh, bereft of kaiju, just they just start raining from the sky. Yeah. Um, And that's one way to do it. I think, I mean, I I thought this movie was a blast, so I'm, I'm, I'm on board, but I do think that in a way... They went a direction with it where I almost felt like they could have made these characters, I don't want to say less interesting because they are not in any way multidimensional, um, but they could have made them less exciting, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it, just because it got to the point where I was like, I was cool with Godzilla never showing up. Yeah. And I feel like that almost is, misses the point. Uh, I, there's, there's so, the pace is so insane yes. in this film that I feel as though you have enough shit well, you could have a trilogy of films here. I mean, there's three movies worth of of story here, and like things like you know the the asteroid. I forgot that there was even an asteroid heading towards the planet. That could have been the end of the second movie in a trilogy. You know, and it's just like it's just another scene. Yeah, this it's is just gonna, another scene, and it's just so like this is going to be a bit of a uncomfortable segue, I guess, but. Family Guy. The animated series Family Guy. Alright, stop recording. Some of the writers have said that it's harder for them to keep the show going as long as they've had it going. Because, uh, whereas a show like The Simpsons, a superior, better crafted show like The Simpsons, uh, has been on for years and years, their episodes in general follow simple through lines. Not, I don't want to say simple, you know, but, but basic sort of understandable structures. Whereas an episode of Family Guy will start out being about Peter losing his job at the, the brewery or wherever the hell he works. And then that'll segue into, like, you know, his wife becoming an astronaut. And then when she goes to space, 
they find like a monkey's paw, and, and then it's and, about and, Stewie making wishes. Yeah, like, and, and then Stewie will have to assassinate President Lincoln. After yeah, it's it's it, like machine. and <laughs> in a way, when Family Guy started, that was a fun thing because it was like, wow, the show just you know goes in every different direction. It's yeah. real fun, and then you know. It, yeah. We grew as people, it came but <laughs> but you know, I felt this movie was like that. I felt like every you know what ten pages of script, they, the guys got together and they were like, you know, this is pretty good. But what if what if we just went over here? Let's just explore that, and then we'll come back. We can always come back to Godzilla. Right? We right. can go anywhere we it's want. Like, we not, not we've got God, this like... bedrock made of atomic lizard. <laughs> we can build whatever fucking weird structural monstrosity we desire. So I think it's it's good that because the. The, since the director liked the 70s movies, those are when Godzilla is the good guy. But with this, you have Godzilla fighting a lot of monsters, but he's more like a Klaus Kinsey. He's our worst fiend, or our best fiend, okay? It's the fact that we are so desperate for help, we have to go to the person we fucking hate. Right. It's could like, di- it, well, they discuss it. They're like, well, Godzilla could destroy the world, and... Don Fry, Fry Don, yeah. Fry. Don Fry, fucking Fry, a- aka Mayor Mike Hagar from Final Fight, uh, is like there's no world left to destroy. So it's like at this point we're just playing for bragging rights. So like, yes, I love. I sort of it, uh, Don Fry's character's uh, approach to handling this sort of alien apocalypse thing that the the movie delves into is the equivalent of of what I think maybe the filmmakers might have felt, which is. You know what? Fuck it. We got halfway into the story. There's no way writing about Godzilla's going to show up and get us out of this hole. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they, they they write the protagonist of the story into this dark hole, and then everyone just gets together and is like, "Well, what if for this next half of the movie we were just a giant kaiju film?" Yeah, yeah. Fuck <laughs> it. Let's do that. That's our only option. That's the only option. You know. And, that's um, that's the final <laughs> option. <laughs> Can I just say, I, 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 I'm normally not a, a huge fan of moments in movies where someone says the title. Uh, my, my best friend loves those moments in movies. Like, I if, think it's great. I think we should do a podcast all about movies <laughs> who say the titles. It in. is his favorite thing, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so the, the moment in Godzilla Final Wars when someone says, it's the final war, and... You know, Europe's the final countdown didn't instantly start playing. I was a little bit, a little bit disappointed, but I did like that they were just. I, I, something I like about these films that I've watched with you, fine gents, is uh, I am a huge fan of just not giving a fuck at all. <laughs> and in this film, it warmed my heart to know just how little a fuck anyone involved with the production gave. Yeah. It's really inspiring. Yeah, you, you, you can tell that with the the, the CG they use yeah. on the that dragon in the beginning, which is Manda. Well, the, the, for anyone who's keeping track, yeah. does not look good for two thousand four. No. The CG no. is awful, but I will say the man in a suit acting and choreography is pretty. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I think it's pretty. I mean, I think it's a lost art. I think it's pretty well done. I do think that is there a little bit of claymation in this too, or some stop motion, like some of the. Some of the head reactions of Godzilla don't look like CG. They look no. a little Those more were tactile. Probably puppet or some form of animatronic. Like, yeah, animatronic. Yeah. They they usually do that um, just because the way the suits are built. Like, yeah. You, for close-ups of expressions, it's usually you've got to have some sort of. Yeah. I thought that. I mean, I, you know, I know you guys don't like to get too much into the legendary pictures of Godzilla because we haven't mm. seen it yet. Even though we, we soon shall. Uh, but I, I really, really, really liked all the man in the suit and the animatronic shit because 
there was a there's like an, a, an emotion to it kind of i mean it's not real obviously because they're fucking lizard monsters but <laughs> there's there's a really I, I i dig the the close-ups of what is very obviously like a puppet just angrily emoting and shooting laser breath way more than any of the shots from the trailer of godzilla of like I mean, it's scary and it's foreboding. And look at this huge monster we've created with all these animators. But I just, it's nothing compared to just like the three points of articulation Godzilla <laughs> who can only express his anger by like pointing his neck up at the sky. Yeah. It, it's a different thing. And it's, I think it's a very specific type of suit acting that is happening in this movie. And that like, what I have noticed over the course of doing this show and watching 28 of these movies all in, in, in chronological order is that there's basically four different styles of, of, of how Godzilla is portrayed. There's the lumbering, confused elephant run amok for like the first three movies. And then there's sort of like this same basic lumbering creature who's fighting for us who occasionally will do something like the victory dance. And then we get into like the starting around Godzilla versus the sea monster. He's doing things like playing tennis and like hitting the rock back and forth between him and Ibra and like doing more and more anthropomorphize. And then in like the late 70s, you get to Godzilla. He's he's an efficient killer. He's a ninja. Like he like no movement is wasted. <laughs> he is no longer moving like an animal. He is moving like a man. And he is just like, he, you know, he just goes straight to it. He knows exactly what to do. And this movie is a return to that Godzilla. I where it's just like, he's an assassin. There's he's a, a monster bit of a, assassin. He has sort of a John Matrix walking out of the barnyard full of yes. sharp tools. Yes. Motion to him yes. from Commando. There's a sense of just one man, one <laughs> right. mission, following this ship, stabbing He's so stuff. focused. But... There is a little bit of a little bit of swagger in there of the third type of man in a suit acting. There's a little bit of the sort of like and one mixtape, like breaking the guy's ankle, shooting the ball between his legs, and like dunking aspect of it. Like there's a couple of fights where you could almost see Godzilla like turn to the camera, like to, to mug and maybe have his own sneaker. And I think if, I think. If you had stuck clearly with the, the vicious, uh, focused murderer Godzilla in this story, it would have been a little uncomfortable because everything else is so cartoonish and, and, and buffoonery-laden. But the that element of just... You guys can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm doing a lot of weird movements to try to mimic Godzilla's fighting in this film. Uh, I thought it was lovely. Like, a, like if, if there was an episode of Dance with the Stars where someone's theme was Godzilla and Godzilla Final Wars, I'd give them fucking straight tens. I don't know how you'd judge dancing. Before we get into the plot of the movie, I did want to really briefly talk about the music in this film. Not that it's particularly memorable good. or good, well, but I'd it's say just it's there's memorable. so much of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of score, like a layer in this cake. film. Well, there, you know, there are always films I think that go through multiple iterations of of a score, like. Uh, Something like Ridley Scott's Legend, you know, the film that everyone saw in theaters in the 80s, is scored by Tangerine Dream, and then the director's cut is uh, the sort of a underrated, but also not very good, I guess, uh, Jerry Goldsmith score, and it's very classical and, you know, composed and orchestral, and the other one was very, like, 80s synth drone, melting keyboards and stuff. This movie feels like they had three different directions they could have chosen to go in, and then said, you know what, why choose? Who cares? Um, because elements of it are very sort of science fiction, experimental, uh, score, and then other parts of it, uh, we should just come out and say it, are done by, uh, the band Sum 41. Yeah. Uh, whose 
frontman used to be married to Avril Lavigne before I believe she left him for Nickelback's Chad Kroger. Oh. I believe that might have happened before <laughs> this, the music for this film was composed, or, which really opens up a lot of... Or poss- <laughs> possibly during. During. <laughs> the rest would be a pleasure. Um, I, a- I also know Zebrahead, the band Zebrahead, if anyone remembers uh, them, which you shouldn't. Uh, but they both... They and some forty one uh, wrote uh, additional songs which were not included in the film or on the soundtrack or anywhere <laughs> or, or anywhere and then so they were uh, Zebrahead was taken out in a field and summarily executed after the film mercifully uh, merciful for all of us mercifully <laughs> but yeah some forty one scores the battle between really one of the one of the most amazing scenes in the film I think maybe we should hold off on, should hold, on, that, on, yeah. on, on hold it. but they are built Sum 41 is built at the opening credits one of the first names I saw was Sum 41 and I was like did I get the wrong version of this movie because if there's two versions of this movie and one of them is involved in any way with Sum 41 I probably need the other one <laughs> right I would prefer to watch it, the it, non Sum 41 whatever the other version. option is if the other one is just scored by Kenny G that's <laughs> A little more apropos, but um, no, the music is thunderous, it is unending, it is... uh, And unending to the point where it no longer has impact about 30 minutes in. Like, you can't notice it anymore. It's it's the shitty synth rock version of John Williams' score for War Horse. (laughs) (laughs) Where, Where about 30 minutes in... They have no power over you emotionally anymore. <laughs> it's just drudgery, and you just you... want to get in the south like, Cut it out, John! John, stop it! it, it it's it's hey, at least at least the little kid doesn't go over to Minya and say, "When I call, you come." <laughs> <laughs> there is um, the music. It really does have a feeling of it's intense, but there's a intensity in a, in a, in a film score is is important depending on the, the context of the film, I guess, but. To just be never-endingly intense, even yeah. in moments of like composure, you cannot do that for an hour and a half. It is Can't tiring. It. it is Can't. exhausting. It is exhausting. More so than the bug fucking sanity on the screen. Right, just yeah. what's happened to your ears is like. Well, can we just? Ha- I mean, there's a, there's a few moments of smart little like piano twinkle and like sort of reserved moments of like tension but then the minute you're like oh well the score is kind of making you know maybe they're (laughs) like just in your fucking face as an audience member it becomes extremely confusing to 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 take cues both visually because what's going on is so fuck nuts but also from the score because the signals we are being given every three minutes is that this is the climax of the movie. <laughs> and, every and, moment and, is the and, climax. And, of and this we start movie. receiving these signals twenty minutes into the film. It's basically after if like the, the whole barrage score of the opening, and then the final know? countdown. Exactly, it just you know? loses its meaning. It's like exactly. a, it's like a it's like a turducken dessert. <laughs> of, of just oral fuckery from all angles. I. <laughs> Like if you had, it's the opposite of a sensory deprivation tank. <laughs> You're just locked in a room, and the sounds will not save you or cease. So it's like the end of Man of Steel. <laughs> it's what we're trying to say. Zod attacks Metropolis with dubstep. I do. I, I do before we get into, the, let's remind Man of Steel is going to be important later. Because, 
I, I have a theory about Zack Snyder in this film, so just okay. hang on, dear viewers. Right, I'm going to write that down. Man of Steel, remind Dom. Yes, remind Dom about Zack Snyder. Remind Zack Snyder not to destroy the product placement at yeah. the end of the movie. We need that to sell to make more movies. <laughs> to talk about the plot even though it's going to be in broad strokes yeah but because there's no because uh, <laughs> there's so there's just it's highly concentrated yeah. 100 proof genre film i feel like it's just yeah. tightly packed this is like with the blue label stuff yeah uh, films. we open up on a pretty cool battle scene if right. I recall from watching this movie well, a yes. hours ago. They brought back for this film uh, the Gotengo, which is the super flying battleship submarine from Toho's 1963 production of Ataragon, or or as it's known in Japan, Kaite Gunkun, or Flying Battleship. That was uh, another product done by Shiro Honda, which featured Manda, who ends up in the Godzilla series via Destroy All Monsters. So It's also just a giant fucking drill submarine, right? Yeah. It well, looks like a like a accessory toy from like a Gurren Lagan model kit or something. Well it's yeah. you know, it's it's really uh <laughs> it's a it's a funny story actually, Dominic. Uh what it is, it's it's a super submarine built by an A wall World War Two Japanese uh major who's uh, stranded on this island for 20 years, so he still thinks that World War II is going on in 1963. And he builds the Atragon specifically to win World War II for the Japanese by decimating uh, the East Coast in an attack. But uh, fortunately... He just come up with the atom bomb? Oh, well, fortunately our heroes intersect <laughs> and say, oh, you shouldn't destroy the United States, instead you should attack the uh, 
the Atlantis-type uh, nation of Mu, yeah. uh, which and they're they're defending monster Manda, and that's what basically they're reigniting the uh, <clears throat> the the feud between Manda and the uh, Gotengo at the beginning of Final Wars. Yeah. It's like round two, even though Man- Manda was killed. <laughs> In uh, Atrigon, but you know, it's like you can't continue. But, yeah, but, but what you guys were saying earlier is that Kitsumura is basically taking the franchise back to the parts that he loved. Yeah. Very yeah. much the same way Brian Singer was like just completely and rudely, I might add, eradicated the history of Nuclear Man from Superman 4 Quest for Peace yeah. when he brought uh, Superman Returns oh, into our. Are you talking lives. about the character portrayed by Mark Pillow? Yes. In Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. It's a great I, film. I still remember going to see it. I love that movie. But, um, well, with, with Adaragon, you have this uh, slight uh, cross because it's a non... This was never in a Godzilla film before. And so he's kind of merging another genre element into this And by Godzilla opening the film. film with this, it's him yeah. sort of saying, like, this is my fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I got the drill ship in here, and this is where we're going to go. Right. Okay. And it starts off, you know, in, in a very, you know, quick, as this you know, movie goes, this is quick action. We're going to get to the fucking point. Fast it's editing. Godzilla has camera. caused so much destruction, and, you know, it takes the Atragon, the super flying fucking submarine, to take down Godzilla. And, like, when all seems lost, the, it end, they end up burying Godzilla in the ice cap. Okay, <laughs> fucking Yeah, yeah, here. real quickly, if I may, uh, to, to just sort of go over the uh, visual, uh, what, what do I want to say, visual, uh, anyway, aesthetics. fuck it, <laughs> aesthetics of this film, it, it's one of those movies where it's like, every time the Gotengo gets hit by one of Godzilla's rays, it looks like the, the attack... The counterattack of the Enterprise onto the Reliant in Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, yeah. when it's like every like sparks are shooting out of every monitor and everyone is jumping and like it's like that type of film where it's but like it's, so everything much, is played yeah. on eleven. And there's know? so much artifice to it that it almost like if the human actors are replaced with marionettes, this could just be Team America. Like yeah. it's yeah. just that fucking fake. Um, there's not even really a bother for. The illusion of realism. It's right. just, or the illusion of discipline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's 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 playfully uh, novice. You right, know what I mean? Right, like yeah. it's like really Kitamura clearly knows how to film a movie and knows how to make a movie and do certain things. And here he just doesn't. But it's like you know, it's, it's for a purpose. It's for a particular aesthetic. So I guess it's okay. But um, it's kind of like the uh, the the quirky acting in Mulholland Drive. It yes, seems yeah. weird until there's a scene where the actress is actually acting, and then it feels like you're watching a movie in that one scene, and you kind of like... We have now compared yeah. this movie to both David Lynch and Werner Herzog, and <laughs> keeping score at home. So, I mean, we're going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Of course, the opening sequence of them burying Godzilla in under a rock of ice uh, is is uh, really just sort of preamble for the most crazy opening sequence ever, right? Like, yeah. Well, like, coupled with what's going on visually and the amount of exposition from the narrator, it it feels like they're summing up a TV series that went on for 24 the, seasons yeah. Yeah, that never existed. But in, like, in, in an exciting way, though. It yeah. feels like uh, someone's just plunging a needle in your arm. And you're just, you're just <laughs> your absorbing getting, it all getting, at like, once. Everything's yeah. like getting zapped into your I brain. I mean, just the colors and the vibrance. It, to me, it, it felt like a cross between like the 
uh, like opening credits of like Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. There's that sort of jazzy like electricity, and then also uh, the like uh, seizure inducing. Uh, uh, flashing lights of the opening of uh, okay. Uh, so we're talking about when they're they're discussing the formation of the mutant. The, oh, like, I'm sorry, I'm skipping that. Lead. I'm talking about the actual opening credits. The okay, actual, yeah. Like, I, no, I I'm to, okay. Sorry, yeah. So I jumped ahead. Okay, so before we get into the crazy before, credit sequence, yeah, there's the first there's a weird amount of world building yeah. that. I okay. I'm actually really glad that you're clarifying this for me. When I was watching it, because I have not watched mercifully 28 Godzilla films, <laughs> I was like, why didn't they tell me that there was one where they essentially build like a team that is like the X Men meets the Power Rangers to fight Kaiju? Why didn't yeah. anyone tell me this? No one told me this because it didn't happen until that very moment at the beginning of this movie. Yeah. It's like this alternate history, I guess you know, or whatever is created. Uh, what, what, the, the, the name of the organization is the the M. It's something. We're professional Godzilla watchers. The hum- I'm going to say the Human Fund, but that was the fake charity made up by George Costanza. That is definitely <laughs> from Seinfeld. <laughs> they basically just show you a bunch of these sort of like near Nazi youth yeah, looking, Nazi. like yeah. legit Nazi mutant Power Ranger. I mean, can, can, we, can we just style. go ahead? Can we just go ahead and say that this film takes place in a universe where Japan did not lose World War II? Oh yeah, and, and I mean, I could, I could go with that because the there is a weird a sense of totalitarianism at, at Absolutely. play. So, and and and, and clear uh, visual references to Nazis specifically. I mean, they have red armbands. Yeah, that was very odd. All things considered, yeah, in historical context. Uh, but you do just get this crazy chevron like uh, um, display of all of these. Basically, we live in a world now where not only are there kaiju and Godzilla and monsters that we have to defeat, but to defeat them, we discover that people, some people are mutants and they have like powers, right. very ill-defined powers, so the government rounded them all up in some kind of cool like agency and they all have Super like uniforms yeah. and they fucking kick ass, yeah. and they've saved us from everything, I'm guessing, is implied. Well, and also, like, the world is united. It's now like one... Rainbow, like we we don't have. There's no east. There's no west. It's just the the globe. It is it many is, key personnel are Japanese. Yes, <laughs> yeah, which does yeah. yeah it, it makes. But then it again, feel, if this is an American movie, it would all the be, top people would be, be American. Well, right, right, there'd be one black guy, one Asian guy, yeah. an English man, and be like you know Jenny uh, Agatha. I mean, yeah, but you, you, like the Secretary General Diego is a Karatakarada. Yeah, like you know, just saying that you know, like so. <laughs> he's the, he's the head but of the UN. He's the There's definitely um, a little bit of a of a wishful sort of like dream fulfillment there. It, it also, I mean, it feels like a precursor to Pacific Rim. Like the the opening has so much fucking shit happening. You know, when you watch Pacific Rim, like we're gonna give you this huge history, like three and a half minutes, and just boom, boom, boom. And this is like that, but even more. You know, yeah, Toro more. at least gave you the illusion of sort of like, well, no, this is what the world would be like if there were giant robots in Kaiju, and it's fun, but it's a little bit documentary style. Here, it's just like, we're going to give you what should be documentary style information in the form of a Haim Saban opening sequence, you know, <laughs> from a children's Sentai transforming t- TV show. <laughs> Which was really, yes. I mean, it's, it's it, it, but I think that, you know, an opening of a film is supposed to set the stage and... The, the Godzilla battle right into this weird, like, meta-diegetic sort of sequence, into the credit sequence, just made me go, all right, well, I guess everything right. is on the table. And, and we show, we see glimpses of nearly, again, every sort of kaiju who isn't directly in the film uh, already. Like, I mean, fights Godzilla later on, 
is seen in these in this sort of flash of like you know when the kaiju are coming up. So like specifically, Varan, a couple of the guys from Space Amoeba, you know, uh, one of the Gargantuas, I think Gaia or whatever, um, and and a few of like Megaguirus, real quick. And so yeah, they, they try to really get Kitabara really uh, handpicks just like nope, just these monsters exist, but not these other monsters. Okay, only mine. Go. Only oh, my yeah. favorites. Only my favorites. You know. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does feel a little bit like an eight-year-old child directing a movie yeah. in, in the best possible way. And, yeah. and then I mean, it's kind of like uh, I, I hate to bring up another comparison, but like Van Helsing, yeah. you know, where it is just it's like, a lot like Van Helsing. Uh, my, my friend Gabriel Laverde always uh, tells me that Van Helsing is, is like you know an eight-year-old was given a whole bunch of sugar and it's like <laughs> and, 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 and I want Dracula and then I want Frankenstein oh and then Wolfman and, 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 and Quasimodo <laughs> and the Dracula clones were made because of Frankenstein's blood and electricity made them off of the creature from the Black Lagoon <laughs> and Wolverine fights them <laughs> and Wolverine fights them uh, and, and then okay and we're like two minutes into the yeah, movie this is just two Sorry, minutes we're at 40 minutes excellent uh so, so we're like two minutes into the movie, and uh, then you go into the opening title effect sequence designed by, uh, I'm not sure what his name is, possibly Kyle Cooper. I think Kyle Cooper. I think it was Kyle Cooper. His name did stand out pretty hardcore. Kyle Cooper, and uh, who did the opening effects for Seven, as mm. well as oh. uh, many other like super badass opening uh, title sequences. And, and yeah, they, they went to him. Uh, for it, and he and did he not did, disappoint. He delivered, yeah. He delivered in spades. It uh, does. I mean, it sets everything up in a really great way, and it just sets that tone of the font is actually they built the font out of wood and burned it and photographed the burning wood <laughs> shaped font. <laughs> you know, it's not a computer program if... like burn thing. They like they're actually burning. I don't know if anything stuff. sums up this movie more than to get the font for the credits. They burn physical wood <laughs> to get that look. Yeah. That that's this whole fucking movie. In yeah, a nutshell. it cuts between like that and then like the same words being like electrocuted. <laughs> it's just like meanwhile like a... showing every appearance of Godzilla in order up until yeah with with ta- with, uh, with the time the years and everything. Yeah, years. It almost feels like that one moment in Boogie Nights when like he Dirk Diggler first sees his name in the mm. neon explosion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just that for like three minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's with just... monsters. And and this I think is one of the. Maybe the only time, or one of the few times, where you actually hear a little bit of Akira Fukube's score. Yeah. Just very, very yeah, underlying. Yeah, because the rest of the time, they don't even play into yeah, it. There's no, no illusions. It's just, you know, I'm not going to make the anger guitar noise in my mouth again because it hurt. But that's what that score sounds like. <laughs> so, when the credits end, we've got uh, the Gotango breaking out of some underwater rocks with Manda, homage to the Adaragon film was 63 and you know, they have this epic yeah, cut ha- ha- half CG, half puppet battle. Come back to another scene that could be, you could wait until halfway through the movie to have this be like the end of the second act or the first act. Yeah. Like level here it's of just, shit. But here yeah. it's just another scene. It, yeah. Here it's, it's utilized like an establishing shot yeah. Yeah, of like a building where characters work. It's like, Oh, by the way, Giant ship that's a drill fighting weird dragon monster. Yeah. But, and this is where we're introduced to Don Fry, whose uh, character you know is, is later prominent in the film. So he's he, playing a Colonel Douglas Gordon. Yeah, and he does he does look like Mayor Mike, Mike Hagar from Final Fight. <laughs> he looks exactly like him. 
It's yeah. frightening how... <laughs> or Zangief. How American and masculine Don Fry is in this movie. And in the best way. It, yeah, no, I mean, he, it was like, we need just someone to represent just American machismo. Let's just get to do the must... He's like uh, Nick Offerman's character from Parks and Recreations. <laughs> If someone injected him with Bane Venom, basically what he's like in this movie. And he just, he just swaggers around, expressing himself monosyllabically, and grunting, and just staring at people, and just not giving a fuck about anything. Uh, and I love him. Yeah. Oh, no, he's amazing. I, I wish there was an action figure of Colonel Douglas. You yeah. know, he'd make an excellent addition. He seems like, like, like the so ultimate G.I. Joe that just yeah. fucking sauntered into this he's movie. He's like Sergeant Slaughter. It's like yeah, Sergeant Slaughter it, like, was in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's actually pretty uh, and, and other Americans in movies, uh, e- e- from I mean, some of the earlier Toho films had like really good American characters or really good American bad guys. But like he is like I think one of the best. Like for, while I I can say his acting isn't the best, his persona and his character is one of like the best like American in a foreign film presentations because. He's like, this is like the good America. This is like the America we would like to see. The He's no this, bullshit, yeah, this you know, fucking steak chewing cowboy. <laughs> he just looks like uh, if, if Sonny Chiba had to, you know, be the mascot for an American steakhouse. Yeah, he'd be Don Fry in this movie. Oh, I wish that there was a reality. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, was it, that was the case. I would eat at that steakhouse every day. We all watched the dubbed version of this movie, which I yeah. think adds a, an, an extra layer of what the fuckness to it that I liked, but. He speaks English in all of his scenes with characters who are Japanese, who are speaking Japanese, and there is no narrative device to explain translation. You, if you were watching the Japanese version of this movie, everyone would be speaking Japanese except Don Fry, and no one would think that was weird. Yeah. I'm to understand that, right? It's the Chewbacca Han Solo. There probably would have been subtitles, though, in the Japanese version, and by the way he speaks, the way the lines are said, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, like, the way the subtitles would have been read, it would have been like to the Japanese how he's saying that would be. Oh, this is like the best, you know, yeah, or, dialogue. Or you know. I mean, to be fair, none of his dialogue is even remotely profound, so he could just be grunting, and they'd probably understand what he's saying. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's definitely the Chewbacca to Japan's everyone Solo. else's Han Solo. He's just a big dumb animal who kills things with his uh, <clears throat> samurai sword that he carries around. His. Metaphor, yeah. <laughs> we do have to. I'm, I'm afraid we have to move on. Move forward a little bit. Uh, it's a minute five of the uh, plot. We we so Don Fry is thrown to the brig for being you know irresponsible by, by, and by, risking by, people's lives in his over American machismo way. For basically, just being Butch Captain. <laughs> by uh, I Akiko uh, Namikawa, mm-hmm. played by Kumi Mizuno, which N- Namikawa was the name of her character in Invasion of Astro Monster. So that ah. is a clear, you know, reference mm-hmm. to that film and her part in it. Um, we then cut to one of the head, or one of the sort of mutant soldiers in training. He sort of becomes our Luke Skywalker or our hero of a thousand faces for the film. Uh, this is Ozakai, uh, and he is fighting. He has a fight with his his best friend, and who's uh, sort of the like Iceman to his he, maverick. Exactly, yes. And um, they have a very ridiculous uh, kung fu Display of battle, super powered <laughs> yeah. martial arts. Where, yeah. where there's it's not uncommon for them to be jumping in the air and 
doing bullet time, I mean, budget bullet time, not, <laughs> not, not, not real bullet time, but I think that's just one of the things where they wanted to put everything into this movie. It's like, we can't have bullet time in this movie. That's an extra we can $5 have, million. Dollars. You know, we could have lobbying a, a projectile time. Uh, uh, you know? Right, right. Um, so they fight, and then their superior comes out and says, you know, it doesn't matter if you win the fight or lose the fight. What matters is you are stronger <laughs> than, like, the day before or whatever, which... I don't a la know. Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that might be the message. It, 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 it's no, just no, like, no, it's just not, the no. fighting. It is. is. It is literally the first of like seven different moments in the movie that feel like they're the filmmaker telling you the theme of the movie, but then are not the actual <laughs> movie. Like, there's all these moments throughout the story where someone says something remotely profound to someone, and they look very sincere when mm-hmm. they say it, and they almost are looking at you in the audience, and you're like, oh, okay, so we're going to see a series of events that are going to uphold that standard. And then maybe 12 minutes later, a different platitude is spat, and you're like, oh, so is this about friendships? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Is this about guns? Is this about friendships with guns? Is this this about homoerotic sexual tension, as you would think immediately after the fight when the two characters just lock arms and look at each other and are intensely breathing and sweating uh, from their fight? As male rivals are want to do. I wrote it down. I was like, opening fight, much breathing and sweating. And uh, I forget what they say afterwards. There's something along there, the lines there's of a, there's a division between the characters enough. where the 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 Iceman guy, because I remember his right. name, is basically like, "Well, are you holding back? Yeah, you exactly. Me. You could have killed then, me." It's like, Ozaki, you, yeah, yeah. Is, you can't flinch on the battlefield. And like, Ozaki's they, they already like, have that doesn't matter. We right. protect people. There's like this ill-defined morality at play. It's important to note too that Ozaki is like the ultimate neutral mask. He's just this wiry, rakish... He's basically like a, he's a cross... Neo, you know? He's Neo, but he, visually on screen he has no sort of, like, presence to be this character. He just feels like a cross between, like, Abed from Community and Rodrigo Santoro, the guy that plays uh, Xerxes in 300. They're mm-hmm. just this sort of, like, fey, young, scrawny dude who, anytime he does display a, a cool action moment, you're like... But really, that guy? Like, and it, we it, should it, say this this character is portrayed by Matsuhiro Matsuko, who I've it, never seen anything else. Yeah, I don't know if he's done. He's done. A, he did something in 2012, and then something in 2013. But he's he, not he, awful. He just he went a, a while bit, after this. A little bit oddly cast, I would say. Yeah. Um, but he he's set up as our clear sort of de facto protagonist for the parts of the movie that don't have Godzilla, obviously, and. Uh, we, I think from there we cut to... Well, they've, they've found uh, Gigan mummified yes. in Antarctica. Or they someplace. Found, yeah, they find Gigan, uh, Gigan mummified, and they don't know who Gigan is. They, they, you know, it's got like a, an odd blood strain to it, which they go into later. Uh, but then we are immediately introduced to the Mothra twins who well, yeah, explain they bring who... in they bring in uh, the scientist old scientist dude played by the guy who played Fujita from King Kong versus Godzilla <laughs> he's fucking back uh, and there's the young hot like, the young hot scientist uh, that Mayuki Anatashi yeah Ozaki is, is charged with being her bodyguard uh, which he doesn't want to be because he thinks it's going to be an old guy and it's a hot girl and he's like, alright I guess it'll be a bodyguard that sounds cool and the scene where he sees he sees her for the first time is like so it's just like the music is just like it's like has this guy never seen a girl before judging from the fight earlier very possibly well I mean no I don't I don't mean that like a like a gender policing type way I literally mean that the 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 like the brotherhood between the mutant 
fighter Power Ranger guys seems very sheltered and uh, it, it does seem like they don't get out much. Yeah, they and, don't get out much. And, and uh, they, that's why they're just fighting each other all the time. So when he sees the girl, it, it, it you know, injects a little bit of excitement into his otherwise, I guess, monastic. While life. we're on the words of excitement, this is the most sex that I've seen in a Godzilla movie. And by sex, I just mean miniskirts and showing women's legs because that's as close as you're going to get to yeah. sex yeah. in a Godzilla movie. The whole time, I, one of the things about this movie is it, it, in, in many ways it's unpredictable and unorthodox, but in other ways it's incredibly predictable and very orthodox. <laughs> and from the moment that you know he gets this assignment to bodyguard this person, he's like, I don't want to do it, it's going to be some old guy. I'm like, they're going to turn around, it's going to be a hot chick. And he turned out it was a hot chick, and I was like, all right, so then later on they're going to fall in love. And, like, that doesn't really ever pan out. Like, right. they, they sow some seeds there, and then they were like, we probably could devote some screen time to developing this, or we could devote some screen time to just fucking insanity. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they came up to Kid and was like, well, we've got uh, five minutes towards the end of the second act where we could maybe have him talk to the girl. And was like, no, 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 no. Let's throw in a scene with Iceman where we just rip off the end of Return of the Jedi for no reason yeah. at all. <laughs> like, we don't need, but we don't need a giant set piece here. It's just like every scene. It's like, no, no, no. Every scene has to be a giant it's set It's important piece. to note that we're going to continue explaining the plot up until, I guess, what, like the 45-minute mark. <laughs> But from minute 45 to minute 2 hour and 5 or whatever, it is just set pieces on top of other set pieces. Parallel to other set pieces. Yeah. Intercut with set pieces. It is exhausting. It is very hard to watch. Yeah. So, so far we're thinking, okay, we've got this mutant Power Ranger guy is defending a scientist. The scientist has some insight into Gigan. They found Gigan. Uh, they go to Infant Island um, with Fujita. And they're there and they're looking in a cave and the, the, the Mothra twins come in and say, hey, Mothra used to fight with Gigan thousands of years ago. Mothra would defend the Earth's soul or whatever from Gigan. And like that's Gigan's been buried for a long time, but he's been disturbed by nuclear bombs or something. I don't know. Yeah, they really phoned that whole shit in. I don't know. But um, they, give them, they give them this, uh, this Mothra-shaped pennant. The, the official yeah. Mothra symbol is in a pennant, which comes in... Sort of, sort of usefully <laughs> for like one moment later. For one in the story, moment yeah. in, in a moment that let's it could have just been edited out, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah, they and then they uh, get back and um, I think I think this is where we meet the UN guy, right? Yeah, the, yeah. Sakura Takarada is in a plane. Yeah. I mean, his first scene is him in a plane reading a book. No, that's not true. His first scene is being interviewed by. Well, who we later discover is the scientist girl's sister, ah. who was a television reporter who was interviewing him because he is now the head of the UN. He's going to be in New York all the time. And I remember watching the scene trying to figure out what the angle here was. I was like, why are we going to know this guy? I didn't recognize the, who he was because I'm not, I haven't watched 28 Godzilla movies. And uh, he has this whole, like, very, he's very humorous and, like, very humanistic and just. I don't know if that's a word. He's just very. Humanistic uh, is a word. He's, it sounds like a weird one. He's just very friendly and sort of full of verve, and he talks about his dog, Clint, which is the weirdest fucking name for a dog in Japan that I can think of, uh, and... Do you feel lucky, pup? It just seems <laughs> odd, but he was very, he, he was, like, very full of life, and then it cuts to him on the plane, and then the plane is viciously attacked, but, or, or that's but, what it seems, yeah. and it blows up, and you're like, okay, I guess we met him so we'd be sad that he's dead, I don't know what this movie's doing, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with it, though, because, you know, explosions. Yeah, Rodan flies by the plane and causes with its supersonic speed for the fuselage to explode very spectacularly. So we go from that, I believe, into the 
relentless bakaki of kaiju attacks yeah. across the globe. Yeah. yeah. Anguirus attacks Shanghai, Rodan attacks New York, Cesar Okinawa. Yeah. And uh complete with Caesar's keeping it in, in yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, in house. Complete with some viciously stereotypical depictions of other nations. Uh, yes. The yes. scene in New York is like a, a parody of New Yorker scenes from Ghostbusters. And then I believe when they cut to Canada, there's just a small fat child in a jersey with a maple leaf on it yeah. watching yeah. television and like it's, throwing it's toys into the vibe. I didn't even think Canadians could do. I don't think. I don't think Canadians can gain that much weight. It was. Like, it was. He looked like Augustus Gloop. Yeah. yeah no, 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 no. Yeah. My friends were watching, and, and my friend Kevin was like, "Is that Augustus Gloop? Is Augustus Gloop in this movie? Is he Canadian? Is now? he Canadian now? What the um, fuck is happening? And all this shit is happening. And, and I remember in my attacks Arizona, and for no reason, Zilla, which I thought was sort of like a callback to like Independence Day almost, because like that guy or, like, in Arizona freaks. made me feel a little bit like Randy Quaid. 94. Everything makes me feel like Randy Quaid 94. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, and then 98 Godzilla attacks Sydney, Australia. Which Wait. is where the director, uh, after he dropped out of high school at age 17, moved to Sydney, Australia. Wait. So, very telling that he has the American Godzilla, who is, to be clear, depicted as a CG monster. Everyone yeah. else is practical, he's CG. Uh, complete, and what I mean is, he is completely CG. Yeah. Whereas things like Spyga, they at least made a, a they're real and they're tactile. Yeah. Some of like or Kamakaris uh, is sometimes CG, but there's a real suit there. The 1998 Godzilla is in this film, and he's there is never a suit for him. He's yeah. completely CG, and he is attacking Sydney, which is this guy's like hometown before he moved back to Japan to start making verses. <laughs> which is probably where he was when he saw the 98 Godzilla, and he's yeah. just sort of striking back. Um, and at this <laughs> moment is where I thought, okay, now they're going to wake up Godzilla. We can see some Godzilla fights. Really cool. I was fucking wrong. Like. I, I, I figured the movie had taken, what, one or two left turns so far. Now we get to the Godzilla. Incorrect. <laughs> okay, and that sound, uh, as you may have guessed by now, means that we split this episode in half. So, yet again, uh, two-parter with Dom Griffin. Every, every time Dominic's on, it's a two-parter. What can I say? Uh, you know, and that's because every time Dominic's on, it's a special uh, experience. And um, we leave no stone unturned in our uh, analysis of the film. So, basically, what's going to happen is you're going to tune in next week and, uh, you know what, get, get the uh, last half of the conversation. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be some, some laughs. Uh, in the meantime, if you are a fan of uh, Godzilla films, uh, there's a new one that happens to be coming out. Uh, in in movie theaters, so I want to check that one out. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have time. Um, and eventually we'll get to it on the show. I think that might be a question on a lot of people's minds: when and if we're going to review the 2014 one. And uh, the answer is as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, we we want to have enough time for people to watch it and sort of digest it and and kind of get their own feelings about it because the episode we do is going to be. 200% spoilers uh, so you know that's happening um, just wanted to thank Dom Griffin always a pleasure sir and also Nathan Bear 
uh, my consonant friend and, and partner on this on this voyage into the madness of reviewing every Godzilla film. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, we do have a Twitter page, and we do have a Tumblr page. Find them. Use them. Like us. Review us. Review us on iTunes. Still, uh, every episode, free of charge. So, uh, we're going to take you out on a little bit of Sum 41, We're All to Blame, and I am to blame for putting the Sum 41 song in. And I'm sorry about that. Trying so hard